0: Friends, the sad music is on. The bourbon is poured. And it's going to be a long, long off season. Mark Schofield here in the big chair for episode 61 of the SCO Show. And it is a melancholy in the infinite sadness installment. As the New England Patriots in the wild card round hosting the Tennessee Titans, they can't get it done. And in a game that will have obviously repercussions from the timeline to the real world and everywhere in between, we're now left to wonder what could be, what will be, or even what could have been. As the Patriots now head into the offseason and the Tennessee Titans advance to take on the Baltimore Ravens next week. Final score in on this one 20 to 13. And we'll have the bad, the ugly. And the future in this installment. Before we do that, your usual reminders. Please do follow along with the hijinks. And they were indeed hijinks tonight on the Twitter machine at Mark Schofield. Check out the work at places like InsideThePylon.com, Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio, a trio of SB Nation websites including Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, And right here at Pat's pulpit. And now, it's hard to know exactly where to begin. As I said, we're going to talk the bad. We're going to talk the ugly. And maybe I should rephrase it to start. Let's talk the disappointed. It's hard to think that the defense was bad on a night like tonight when they gave up 14 points. You know, there are aspects of what Tennessee did offensively that were frustrating. But at the same time, look, we knew Derrick Henry was going to be a problem. And a problem he was. To the tune of 34 carries for 182 yards and a touchdown. The Patriots tried a mix of things. They tried to go tight they tried to go bare in the second half they went to more of a 5-2 or a 6-1 look and it just didn't work for them they couldn't slow him down and and the thing that was amazing about derrick henry in this game it was kind of encapsulated by a play in the second half where you just You have him stopped. You have him hit behind the line of scrimmage. And he still is able to turn contact behind the line of scrimmage into a first down. Not a first down, but a a gain of three. Every time he was hit, he'd fall forward for yardage. Every time he was hit, he would run through contact. Derrick Henry was the best player on the field tonight. And so... We sort of expected that he was going to have a good game and have a good game he did. You know, this defense, they stepped up at times. The Harmon interception was huge. You thought that was going to be a great chance to put some points on the board. But in the second half, look, Tennessee went punt, punt, interception, punt, punt. The real disappointing part of this defense was just the drive before the half. And that was, and we'll talk more about the offensive angle to that sequence in a minute. But that last half of the first half, that last like five minutes or so, that was the game. And many of us probably knew it at the time. Patriots settled for three. And then in the most unorthodox two-minute drive, potentially in football history, Titans go seven plays, 75 yards, and a touchdown, all thanks to Derrick Henry. You know, I've quoted from Varsity Blues before, but it was like that moment early in the huge game at the end where they just, you know, what was the quote? That the guys in the booth said, just gonna stamp US mail on Wendell's butt. Ride him to the end zone. That's what they did. I mean, that drive. Henry right tackle for twenty nine. Two minute warning. Tannehill is incomplete. Henry left guard for eleven. Henry right guard for nine. Henry left tackle for three. Timeout by Tennessee. Hen- Tannehill, short pass left to Henry. Pushed out of bounds at the 1 for 22 yards. Incredible tackle by Jonathan Jones. I don't know how. Well, he was running across the field, so he had you know 35 yards worth of momentum. That's the only thing that enabled him to blast him out of bounds. But next play, Henry up the middle for 1 yard, touchdown. And in a sequence that should have ended, potentially 17-7 at the half, and now you're looking at, if you're Tennessee, you're down 2 scores. You can't really rely on Henry too much. Now Tennessee has the lead at halftime. And for all intents and purposes, game's over right there. Maybe we knew it at the time. Maybe we didn't. Maybe in the back of our mind, we knew it at the time. And that was it. And and it's it's hard to be upset with the defense given that. Given what the defense did in the playoffs. You know, when you look at Punt, punt, interception, punt, punt. The defense did their job in the second half. You know, where that Henry drive aside, the defense did their job. It's just the Henry drive was so disappointing, so backbreaking. It was one of those moments where you just realized, man, they just wound up, roundhoused you to the face shoved it down your throat like that's what i know right what i wrote two minute drive all runs they just shoved it down your throats you know i said a couple weeks ago that football is a game of emotion that was an emotional drive they just choked the life out of you in a sense Another bad, another disappointing part to this was the, the situational stuff. It just seemed like, as it has many times before, situational errors. You know, We'll talk more about drops, but drops at inopportune times. Penalties at inopportune times. Head-scratching mistakes at inopportune times. Some poor decisions at inopportune times. And the problem is magnified when the margin for error is so thin. You know, when you have the ability to go down the field and score all the time, when you have the ability to hit from anywhere on the field, when you've got an explosive offense that can strike quickly, you know, you can shake off mistakes like that. But when every offensive drive for you feels like, you know, a struggle. Feels like you're rolling that boulder up the hill. And you're just terrified that it's going to roll back on you at any moment. When the margin for error is that thin... The mistakes get magnified, the drops get magnified, the errors get magnified, the missed blocks get magnified, the poor throws get magnified. You know, none of that stuff really matters, none of that stuff feels like it adds up when you're dropping 40 a game. But when it's a fight to get 14, or in this case you can't even get 14, that stuff gets magnified. Let's talk about some of the ugly stuff. And you have to begin and end with the red zone offense. And it's amazing. It's confounding. You wonder just how good is Chad O'Shea at his job, and then you realize that he was there last year as well. With this red zone offense and this short yardage offense just could not get it done at almost any point this season. And you start with that sequence before halftime. When you've got a situation to really take control of this game as the New England offense, you're up 10-7. You get a first and goal at the 1. And you go left tackle. Sony Michelle for a loss of 1. Burkhead left tackle for 1 yard. Michelle left tackle for two yards, and you're forced to settle for three. That's game. Again, we didn't know it at the time. Maybe we did, but that was the game. And look, they ran it out of their 52 package. They tried left side where they had been running pretty well. The problem was they couldn't block backside. And the guy I said struggled to get into run fits, Evans. Well, he got into three in a row making tackles from the backside. You know, obviously we'll have to sort of take a look at the film and study that stuff if we feel like it. But that was critical. Another critical sequence was the third and one where they decide to run it with a Landon Roberts. And that was a huge stop. You know, at that point in the game, it's ten seven New England. The defense just comes out and gives you a three and out. Defense just does its job. You run Landon Roberts inside. It's one of those moments where you're thinking, are you just being too cute with it? Although then you see what happens on a fourth and goal from a first and goal from the one. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe McDaniel's wasn't. But the short yardage execution by this offense, the short yardage play calling, everything short yardage and down near the goal line has been bad for this team for a while now, dating back into last season. And I'm almost starting to wonder if it was even before that. And yes, there have been moments, there have been isolated moments, the drive in Super Bowl 53, but this team has struggled in short yardage situations. And with the Brady sneak being either not part of the playbook or something that teams have just expected for, so they're loaded inside, and now you're trying to run to the edges and outflank them a bit, but you can't get it done? I don't know. But, you know, at, at some point we'll probably want to sit down and put together, and I'll even touch on this a little bit later, sort of a you know, an off-season plan, a homework assignment, but figuring out what to do in the red zone is one of the biggest things facing this team right now. Because when you have a defense that is this good, although it may not be the same group of people next year, the failure to capitalize when you get chances as an offense like this and you can't and you settle for three, that's how you lose games. Think about playing the New England Patriots over this run, right? What's one of the things you often say about a team when they settle for three? Oh, you don't beat New England by settling for three. Well, one of the ways you beat yourself is when you settle for three. And so, yeah, that was ugly. Outside of the red zone offense, this team has a wide receiver problem. Harry had some drops tonight. Edelman had some drops tonight, but look, the guy's banged up. He's getting doubled. Dorsett, when he makes catches, seems to be on his knees. I'm reminded of that sophomore year in college when I played wide receiver, the one and only catch I had. I, it was a perfect throw on a comeback rope, but I like was so insecure of my hands that I like cradled it going to the ground using my chest because I was so unsure of myself. Kind of having flashbacks to my own poor wide receiver play watching Dorsett tonight. This team has a wide receiver problem. Now, thankfully... 18 of the top 32 players in this draft might be wide receivers. So the Patriots got that going for them, which is nice. The problem is, you know, New England's going to draft Vanderbilt's third-string safety, you know, Arkansas State's backup center, and maybe a kicker with their first three picks. So even though we're going to have draft season covered from wall-to-wall, Yeah. But they have a wide receiver problem. And the numbers bear it out. You look at the box score in this game. And I know box score scouting isn't great. This team had 20 catches tonight. On 37 pass attempts, right? Edelman had three. Harry had two. Sanu had one. Dorsett had one. That's seven receptions out of the 20, to your wide receivers. That's not great. That's not great. This team has a wide receiver problem. And let's face it. They didn't expect to be playing down the stretch with the guys that they had, okay? They didn't expect to be relying on these guys when they had Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown to start the season. But that's the way things played out. And so, here we are. And you do sort of wonder, it's hard not to, the kind of receivers that might be available in the second round where the Patriots now don't have a second-round pick. But that's getting into sort of the draft area where, let's face it, we got more time to spend on that than we wanted to. So, yeah, wide receiver's an issue. Offense, red zone, that's an issue. Jake Bailey. And for a player that was potentially at times a candidate for this team's offensive or defensive or however you want to call it, Rookie of the Year. He struggled tonight. And I don't know if it was Matt St. John or Jessica Brand, one of the two, but it was really a smart, astute point in the Scose Show Slack channel, which I fear is probably burning down while I record this show. I hope everybody can sort of keep it together until I come back, but tensions are high. But this was basically like Super Bowl 53, except we weren't Keeping pace in the punting battle. We just weren't. They were struggling. Bailey was struggling. Kicks into the end zone, shanked a couple, some short yardage kicks, 30 yards or so. And again, not let box score. Skeleton is the be all and end all. But look, five punts for 230 yards, two touchbacks, just two inside the 20. Brett Kern, one of the best in the game. Six punts for 275, but four of them inside the 20. And obviously the one at the end of the game. And so they lost the special teams battle in a game, in a matchup where special teams was perhaps one of their biggest edges going into it. And so that was tough to see. And decisions, look, I know it's... Easy or hard to say they got too conservative at times. Some of the coaching decisions. I'm going to take the, the weird false start, delay a game before the five-minute mark and put it aside. Like, Yes, they probably could have burned a timeout, but it doesn't stop them. I mean, yeah, they could have taken a timeout. They should have taken a timeout. That Maybe you factor that into the situational issue. Why don't you just burn the timeout stop them from doing it? Because they lost a minute of time there. So that was strange to see. Getting conservative at times. Look, they punted on some situations where they probably shouldn't have. Although when you look at this offense, maybe your best bet is to put the defense back on the field and hope they screw up. So, you know, the, the one that sort of sticks in my mind is the fourth and three. Three. At the Tennessee forty-seven, with twelve forty-five left in the fourth, you know, that's a situation. Look, you probably could go there, and if you if you don't get it, maybe they score a touchdown. Maybe they don't, but you know that one was a struggle. And then with three ten left to, you know, I know you're on your own thirty-seven, but punting there felt like a bit of a, I don't know. But then again, look. Bailey hits a good punt. You get it to the 13. You get a stop of Derrick Henry for two yards. So it's second and eight. You burn your first time out. You get a penalty. So it's second and 13. You know Henry goes right guard for five. Third and eight. Tannehill hits the big throw. Double China seven. It pains me. It pains me that the dagger was perhaps double China seven. Corner out to the tight end. But they went cover two man under. And Tannehill made a great throw. And so, those were some of the ugly things. Up next, I'm going to have a couple sips of bourbon over the break. And we're going to talk about the big questions that lie ahead. Because I think that's where we got to go. On this melancholy and the infinite sadness installment of the 2019 season. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4 2023 Void wherever prohibitive. Here's worth the snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Mark Schofield back with you now on this melancholy and the infinite sadness installment of the Sco Show episode 61 of the season, our final sort of in-season show because we are now in off-season mode. And it's unfortunate in many ways, that now begins the questions. You know, and I'm putting aside the what ifs, the what could have beens, because look, I'm not here to sort of dwell on those moments. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it's disappointing to imagine how this team could have been better, how this team could have been better constructed. Jim Reynolds is probably somewhere. Cursing the gods at how the Patriots mishandled the tight end position in the offseason. But the biggest question of all is, is this it? You know, the speculation this week about Brady and his future. You know, I was somewhat heartened before the game. Even when we saw Brady coming arri- arriving at Gillette today, you see him almost joyous. He seemed happy, seemed relaxed, seemed relaxed this week. You know, most of the team seemed relaxed and ready to go this week. But now we have to sort of wonder. We have to wonder what is the future? What does the future hold for Tom Brady? I still think, I firmly believe, I, I will, you know, defend Tom Brady right now to anybody who, who asks me, anybody who has me on a show or a radio spot or wherever to talk about Tom Brady. Look, Tom Brady's not the problem in this team right now. What were there some missed throws this season? Yeah, is he the same guy he was in two thousand and seven? No. But I would get, you know, onto the backside of a piece of paper before I would put Tom Brady's name down as a, a, a problem, uh, an item on the list of things that went wrong for the Patriots this year. And I'm sure we'll probably find out in the coming days that Brady was dealing with, you know, an elbow injury that's really sort of hampered his mechanics which really sort of, you know, messed him up. So I, Brady's not the issue. But here's the thing. How does the team view him? Does Bill Belichick have the same view of Tom Brady as I do? Because if he doesn't, we know how things could end. I mean, the thought of Tom Brady wearing a powder blue Chargers uniform next year or a a teal Dolphins uniform or just, you know, throw potential teams out there. It's nauseated. It's nauseated more than this loss. I mean, now you look on Twitter right now, and everybody is talking about him going to the Chargers. You know, Pat McAfee. So Tom's not retiring. He'd thank the Pats fans for everything, unless he's leveraging for a massive contract. Feels like Tom in another uniform is about to be a reality. You know, I can't imagine that. but maybe it happens. Look, I'm flashing back to a a 10 and 11, 12-year-old Mark. Wearing number 16, playing Pop Warner, idolizing Joe Montana, wearing a Snoopy Joe Cool shirt under every game, under my pads, every single game. I wore that all the way through high school. But I remember that 13... 12 year old kid, like, there's no way he's going to play for another team. And then there I am in high school. Going to Schaefer Stadium when the Chiefs were in town at a preseason game. Why? To watch Joe Montana wearing my brand new number 19 Chiefs jersey. You know, these things happen. It is a business. And it comes down to, in a sense, that same age-old question that, that Tom Brady talks about, you know, Bill Belichick will pick the right people at each position, no matter where you get drafted and where you get picked, where you played from. doesn't matter if you went to Bama or Wesleyan. If you're the best person for the job at a given position, it's yours until somebody does it better. Does Belichick think that there's somebody better? Is he willing to pay Tom Brady the money that Tom Brady thinks he deserves at this point in his career? I don't know. But that is the question that is going to dominate the Patriots offseason until it gets resolved one way or the other. If it were me, I think you pay Tom Brady and you bring him back on sort of year-to-year type deals, similar to what New Orleans is doing with Breeze. But the problem is, at some point, you kick the can down the road and it snowballs and we know that there's a massive cap explosion awaited new Orleans and do the Patriots want to do that? So it's a frustrating situation. It's a very uncertain situation. And so that is obviously the biggest question, but there are questions on both sides of the ball. We're going to start Sooner than we wanted to, looking at the free agency positions, looking at the free agency pitcher, who's available, who won't be. Who, what move should they make? There are going to be questions about other guys moving on. Does Devin McCordy come back? He hinted at retirement last year. And so we stagger into this offseason with a ton of uncertainty. And it's not where we want it to be. It's not where I want it to be. But we're here. And if this was indeed the end, if if this was sort of the final act for Tom Brady in New England, the final act of the Brady-Belichick era, it's truly unfortunate that this is how it ends. But in a sense, it's perhaps fitting because life is pain. Fandom is pain. We've been incredibly lucky over the past 20 years or so, as Patriots fans, to enjoy this run. Now, I'll tell a quick story. My son and a couple of his other buddies, that we take him every Saturday to a little sports complex where they get some baseball lessons from some—it's a great little complex in, in the Maryland area. And all sorts of like teams, high school teams, club teams go there. It's an indoor facility with cages and all sorts of stuff. And they've got some great young coaches that are helping my son learn the game and other guys, other kids learn the game. And, you know, one of the other boys, even though my son is now becoming a Ravens fan as we live down here in the Maryland area, which as I call them tonight in a Twitter DM, a little treasonous bastard, but whatever. They, they become their own people. You learn that. But one of his friends is a huge Tom Brady fan. Huge Patriots fan. And as we were leaving that day, all the other coaches were saying, go Titans, and everybody's rooting for the Titans. And, you know, 44, 45 other states are rooting for the Titans. And the other other child, as we were walking out, he was sad, and he actually was upset about it. He was like, they're saying mean things about the Patriots. I was telling him, you know, What's the phrase in a sense? I didn't quote it. I didn't say it, but they hate us because they ain't us. They don't, they say things like that because they're jealous that they, their teams lose. Whether they're a Ravens fan or Steelers fan or Bills fan, it doesn't matter. Not many fan groups get to enjoy what we enjoyed over the past 20 years. And yes, in a perfect world, Brady and Gronk would have ridden off into the sunset last year. They would have drafted Josh Rosen or Lamar Jackson and been ready to take the world by storm. But life isn't perfect. Fandom isn't perfect. And a night like tonight is sort of, in a sense, a good reminder of just how good we've had it, just how enjoyable this run was. And from my perspective, this run, in a sense, is my life. They beat the Rams in Super Bowl 36, my last year of law school. And I was delirious in that moment. So delirious, in fact, and yes, perhaps a bit lubricated, that I raced upstairs and tried to order Super Bowl hats. And after fumbling around, somebody came upstairs to check on me. Because I had been upstairs a long time. And that person found me In front of the computer, sort of perplexed with a confused look on my face with six Rams Super Bowl champion hats in my cart. That person obviously fixed the situation. As I record this show, that person is now upstairs. She's my wife. We've had two kids together, gone through career changes, but a constant in a sense has been this team and the joy this team has given me, the family moments that this team has given me watching a comeback against Atlanta with my family, with my parents, watching it the next day with my son before he decided to be an Eagles fan and then after that, now a Ravens fan. But he was sick from home from school. He had the flu. He couldn't even watch the game. He was vomiting. But getting that moment to watch that comeback with him the next day. Now my daughter wearing Patriots shirts, Patriots dresses, becoming a Patriots fan in her own right even though I'm pretty sure the boy she has a crush on. Her very first, since he's a Niners fan, I think she's now a Niners fan too. But this team has given us so much. This team has given us so much joy. This team has given us so much pleasure over 20 years. And while tonight stings, while tonight hurts, and if you're like me, you're getting roasted on the timeline and you don't feel like it's going to go away, just think of the joy it's given you. Think of the moments That this team has given you. And so. While it stings. While it stinks. While I'd rather be. Doing a show about the Chiefs. We move on. And if this is the end. Of the Brady era. Look you know me. Or at least I hope you do by now. I'm going to be overjoyed covering the next quarterback or the next two quarterbacks. Or unfortunately, as we wander the desert of quarterback purgatory for the next 20 years. Because this was a hell of a ride. It was fantastic to cover it. It was fantastic just to watch it. We might not have anything like this again. So if it is over, just be glad that it did happen. Because there's thirty other thirty one other fan bases. We'll never, ever have a ride like this. So that will do it for today. I will be back probably I'm looking at Monday for a off season free agency show because look, we're gonna roll right into it. Obviously now, look, I am a couple weeks out from the senior bowl. Guess I won't be going to Miami. But hey, Senior Bowl, combine, we get lots of stuff on the horizon. In the Sco Show Slack channel, look, we will start college scouting and free agent scouting before you know it, as we did last year when I was over at Locked On in the Slack channel. We will have channels for each position, scouting reports, breaking players down, nerdy football stuff. It'll be a hell of a ride. And since this is sort of the end of the season, look, I can't thank all of you enough, the listeners the people in the Slack channel, the family members that listen to the show, the people that listen and just every once in a while DM me some kind words. Jim Reynolds, I owe you a DM. I know I do. Um, Erica Prol, all the incredible listeners. Look, this this is... This show's a joy to do. I love it. I love talking with so many great Patriots fans all the time, so many great football fans all the time. And... I couldn't do this without you. You guys mean more to me than you ever will. So please, for my sake, keep on blessing that Patriots reign. Down in Foxborough.